Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And welcome to the Shift with Sam Baker podcast, which is coming to you live from the Birmingham Rep as part of Birmingham Literature Festival. I'm journalist and author Sam Baker, and I am delighted to welcome back to the Shift one of the most intelligent, thoughtful people I've ever interviewed. Also, slightly harassed because she literally got into Birmingham 15 minutes ago, <laughs> the activist, author, and academic Elif Shafak. The author of 19 books, that's right, isn't it? Still 19? Probably 20 on the way. Oh, should we not say the, your editor's on your case, right? The author of 19 books, including the novels 10 Minutes, 38 Seconds in This Strange World, which was shortlisted for the Booker Prize, and her latest, The Island of Missing Trees, which was shortlisted for the Women's Prize, amongst many others. Elif is an advocate for women's rights, LGBTQ plus rights, and freedom of expression. The best-selling female novelist in Turkey... Elif has been unable to return to her homeland for several years since she was charged with insulting Turkishness based on the behaviour of her characters in her best-selling, The Bastard of Istanbul. So, Elif, thank you so much for being here in your arduous journey. Uh, The world has changed a little bit since we last spoke, which was, what, maybe 18 months ago? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's changed in ways I don't think either of us could have conceived. Yeah. And then... um, Let's talk a bit about where do we start? Iran, mm. Afghanistan. Mm. I mean, you've been incredibly active these last few weeks <laughs> on Instagram. Mm. How, how does it feel to you to see the changes happening now? Well, thank you so much. First of all, I think it, it feels incredibly precious to be able to meet like this. I honestly think we need cultural festivals, literary events, all the more uh, at, a, at a moment like this. And I find it very important that we get together, we have nuanced conversations, we talk about ideas, but also we hear each other's voices and stories. Um, It matters enormously that we remain connected because there's no question that this is a moment of anxiety. I think there's a lot of angst, existential angst, 
But in my opinion, it would have been much, much worse if it were to become a moment of apathy, like if we stopped caring about each other. So the moment we say, well, what's happening in Iran, it has nothing to do with me. What's happening in Afghanistan, it has nothing to do with me, or Ukraine. The moment we you know, erect those walls higher, I think that's a much more difficult world to handle. So that's where we are right now. It's a crossroads. Um, we can either withdraw into our cocoons when so much is happening, or we, we realize that actually, no, this is the moment to become more engaged. And if I may add this, as you pointed out, I think all around the world there's a, there's a major decline in democracy in respect for pluralism, diversity, freedom of speech. But this is especially um, scary for women and minorities because countries like Turkey have also shown us that wherever democracy is, is breaking apart, the very first rights that will be taken away will be women's rights and minority rights. So I think whilst it's important that we all remain connected, it's even more important that women remain connected, that minorities remain connected. This is a moment that we acutely need global solidarity and global sisterhood. Uh, does it, you know, like you say, it could be a moment of despair does it give you hope to see the way that the young women in Iran are fighting back? I, I am honestly in awe of the bravery of women in Iran. And these, most of these women are so young. We need to bear in mind that a big um, chunk of the population, that a big percentage of the population in Iran is under the age of 30. You know? and, and these young people, they don't want oppression. They don't want authoritarianism. They, they want a completely new world, and rightly so. So um, the old rules and regulations, it doesn't work for them. And, and despite all the, um, the, the ban, bans uh, against social media and everything, they find a way to remain connected to the rest of the world. But it's primarily their bravery that is so amazing. Um, and the slogans you know, about women and freedom there's so much dignity in their, in their struggle, and I think we have to hear their voices. We have to support them every way we can. It feels to me very important that the civil society in the UK remains connected with, with the civil society in Iran, in Afghanistan, in Ukraine, artists supporting artists, feminists supporting feminists. You know, As citizens, what can we do? Because this is a time when politics and politicians fail us so badly. The um, Egyptian feminist uh, Mona El-Tahawi wrote a post, I think it was last week, where she was saying, I mean, she wasn't countering what you were saying, but what she said was saying to all you white liberal feminists, you know, American feminists who were effectively banging on, for want of a better way of putting it, about what's happening in Iran. Look at your own country. Looking, I mean, we could probably talk about what's happening here till the cows come home, but look at, she was talking about America, look at what's happened with Roe versus Wade. You know, do you agree with that, or do you think that's... You know, I think the, the, the last thing we need right now is more duality. The last thing we need is more polarization. And in my opinion, it's very important that feminism today remains intersectional and interconnected. Right? So for me, 
um, the kind of feminism that opens up rather than retreats into tribes, I don't want that. I want the kind of feminism that brings on board um, women of all backgrounds, of all walks of life, but is also aware of these, not only the glass ceiling, but the glass walls that keep us apart. The many inequalities when it comes to class, race, regional inequalities, they matter enormously. Digital inequalities matter enormously. So our hearts are wide enough, our minds are wide enough to hold on several thoughts simultaneously. I can care about what's going on in Iran as, at the same time. I'm very aware of what's going on in Turkey. At the same time, I'm very aware of what's going on in America or in Europe or within this country. So we can have these con um, connections, much more interconnected debates. But I guess primarily what I'm trying to say is patriarchy is universal. It is not the problem of you know, women in one part of the world. There's no such thing as some parts of the world being more turbulent lands, liquid lands, and some parts of the world, namely the West, being solid and safe and steady. That was an illusion. It was an arrogant illusion, and it has been shattered to pieces, particularly after 2016. Mm. Now we know that there's no such thing as solid lands versus liquid lands, and actually we're all living through liquid times. And that's why we need this intersectional, international solidarity and sisterhood all the more at a time like this. So there is a backlash all around the world against women's rights, but not with the same intensity. So it's understandable that we can focus on certain regions more, but we should never lose sight of the fact that it is a universal problem and we're all in this together. You used the phrase glass walls, which I've never heard before, and I think I absolutely love that because that it feels like in this country mm -hmm. right now there are glass walls, if anything, springing up between older and younger feminists. Mm -hmm. What do you think about that battle that's happening here right now? It, it, it really breaks my heart that, especially in this country, but also in America, usually in the Anglo-Saxon world, you know, English-speaking world, um, sometimes there are <coughs> unnecessary divisions within women's movement and LGBTQ plus movement. I honestly think this is going to weaken all of us in the long run. None of us will benefit from this. We, we need solidarity. It doesn't mean we need to agree on everything. It doesn't mean we need to see eye to eye. But we should never lose sight of the core issues, you know, about patriarchy, about sexism, about inequality, misogyny, about the rise of this weird populist authoritarianism, populist nationalism all across the world, which is primarily not anti-democracy, but also anti-pluralism, anti the rights of women, anti the rights of minorities. So um, the, the core values, they're, they're very important. And sometimes it seems to me like we're losing sight of that. One other thing that troubles me is, and I see this in many countries, um, women can be very um, separated into their own boxes. Mm -hmm. you know, we need to find a way to overcome that, that kind of you know, being pushed into... Uh, patriarchy always divides. It tells us that, for instance, some women are uh, good women, some women are bad women. We grow up internalizing these teachings so much so that even when we look at the mirror, when we're alone, we start judging ourselves. 
we start judging, you know, how we wear, how we dress up, how much makeup we have put, the length of our skirt, and we do this over and over. The moment we internalize that patriarchal gaze, we don't need anyone telling us anymore who is a good woman, bad woman, because we're doing it to ourselves now. So we have to break, smash this dualistic way of thinking. When do, how do you think that starts? Because you see little girls, yeah. and they are, you know, running around, and they're stomping, and they're, like, yeah. fighting, and they're standing up for themselves, and they are just as gobby and outspoken as little boys. And certainly by the time they're teenagers, that's changed. But my... I can't bear to say the word granddaughter because it makes me feel old. <laughs> Step-granddaughter um, is now nine. And I saw her for the first time, actually, a few weeks ago. And she... I mean, she's just had a growth spurt. She's nine. She's, you know... I don't want to say skinny, but she's nine. She just looks like a nine-year-old. She started talking about her weight. Yeah. And I know that that hasn't come from within. I know that hasn't come from in her family. Yeah. That's come from school. Yeah. And social media. Yeah, uh, yeah and yeah. YouTube, probably, and in YouTube. her case. Yeah, 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 yeah. definitely. We need, to, we need to talk about this. We need to raise our voices. We need to put a lot of pressure on tech companies. They have responsibilities. They cannot get away with, you know, we're just a platform where all kinds of things are being published. No, they have responsibilities and they're making a lot of money out of this. You know, so there, there's a lot we need to tackle together. But I, I really love what you said because that, that resonates with me coming from Turkey. Uh, I, I used to go to schools a lot in Turkey. I, at some point I, I published a children's book and it gave me a chance to speak to really young kids and it's amazing, you know, when you speak to a six-year-old, seven-year-old Turkish child or a Jordanian child or an Egyptian child, they, they have the same, you know, kind of creativity, chutzpah, right, courage, vision about life, about future, as any six-year-old or seven-year-old in any part of the world, in Norway, in Canada or elsewhere. And at that age, I think girls are just as confident as boys, if not even more confident than boys. Yeah, I speak to a six-year-old, seven-year-old girl, I mean, she's like, wow, right? The amount of confidence is amazing. And again, if you ask those kids, is there anyone in this room who would like to become an artist someday or a writer? So many hands go up. But then I would go and visit high school kids, like middle school, high school kids, and everything has changed, everything. Now, if you ask to older students, is there anyone who would like to become an artist? No one puts their hands up anymore. No one wants to become a poet or a writer anymore. And just as importantly, girls do not want to speak up in the public space anymore. Why? What happened to those courageous, confident six-year-old girls? What happened to them that when you are, by the time they're 16, they become timid in the public space, speaking up? amidst their friends, because they know they will be judged. Why? Because we taught them they will be judged as a society, right? At school, in the neighborhood, in the family, we told them, be careful how you speak, how you sit, you know, whether you put your legs like this or how every little thing, even the, the tone of your voice will be judged. Again, coming back to that good women versus bad women, and you will have a stigma attached. And little by little, they internalize that. So I think what we need to do is just remember who we were as children. You know, what we dreamed of as 
children, what was taken away from us, that kind of courage that we had, but was taken away from us. Uh, and, and just build up that inner garden again, the inner garden that the society or the system and patriarchy primarily has been taken away from us. So when you were a little girl, you were brought up, weren't you, by kind of two very different women, by your <laughs> grandmother who was a very... Well, I say she was a very traditional Turkish woman, but she encouraged your mother not to be. Yeah. Uh, no, so your mother working, getting educated, yeah. and your grandmother who's very traditional and spiritual. How did that shape you? Yeah, I think it shaped me deeply. It left a big impact on me, also on my writing probably, and the way I see the world. Um, I, I think there were a couple of things. Because I was... I was born in France to Turkish parents, but then my parents got separated. My father stayed in France, and my mother brought me to Turkey. So there was this maybe sense of displacement um, from an early age onwards, right? And, and the second thing is, as, as you mentioned, I was brought up by these two women who were completely different. My mom is very westernized. You know, I'm using all these, everything is relative, of course, but within this context, compared to my grandmother, she's very urban, very modern, very rational, and she's very well-educated. My grandmother probably would tick off all the opposite boxes. She's very irrational. She was very irrational, very superstitious, spiritual, more Eastern, more traditional. And the interesting thing is these two women supported each other at a time when my mother needed uh, support the most because she was a young divorcee, she had dropped out of university, and usually women in such a position, situation, they're immediately married off, uh, almost like a young divorcee is regarded as a threat to the conservative order, and people were looking for a suitable husband for her, you know, someone to take care of her and her child. And it was my grandmother who said, no, I will take care of my granddaughter. You go back to university, just finish it, you know, have a degree, have a career. You can always get married again, but then it will be a choice. It won't be mandatory. It will be your choice. So she gave her that kind of freedom. And off my mother went, and I stayed with grandma until the age I was, you know, um, 10 years old. And, and her house was full of stories. It was more like oral culture, um, storytelling of Anatolia, the Balkans, the Middle East. It left a big impact on me. But in a nutshell, what I'm trying to say is when and if women support each other, I think the impact of that goes beyond generations. Because she supported my mother's education, my, my mother graduated with a very high average. She became a diplomat in the long run. And then, you know, she and I, we traveled. So we went to Spain together. We went to Jordan together. My whole worldview changed, but it's thanks to my grandmother's support. Did you, as a, a young adolescent girl, did you find yourself getting pushed into those boxes that girls get pushed into? Girls, I'm saying girls, that's a generalization, but mm -hmm. for the sake of this now. Or did you not... And if not, how? Is it, is it possible for any of us to, to be, you know, to remain outside of these teachings? I think it's in, not, not possible. Um, you know, I, I might say, try to say something, let's say, um, 
more open-minded and beyond the, the, the inhibitions of patriarchy. But the moment I leave this stage, when I'm again, you know, on my own, maybe I'm going to catch myself, as I mentioned, judging myself through the eyes of patriarchy. So, no, I think it's impossible to be 100% outside of these teachings. But it is possible to be aware of what it does to us and try to minimize it. And we can only do this by speaking, listening, reading, thinking, but primarily being aware of each other's stories and struggles. So awareness is a big, big part of this. Um, I was brought up you know, in, in, a, in a traditional environment in Turkey, uh, and I went to Turkish schools where I internalized a very nationalistic education history books, we are a society in Turkey of collective amnesia. We have a very rich history, a very you know, long history, but that doesn't mean we have a strong memory of the past. So you realize that actually it's a society of collective amnesia and history, especially the history of an empire, changes depending on who is telling the story and who is not allowed to tell the story. And we should be okay with the untold stories being able to express themselves, having more nuanced conversations about history. In Turkey, this is very difficult. So, you know, there are multiple layers. Um, you sometimes re realize you have internalized more than you know, but um, awareness, I think, is a big part of it. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. It's not just history, is it, and the way it's taught or not taught hmm. um, by the victors. I'm not sure that's the right word, but hmm. you know, but it's also maps. Yeah. You know, the maps are drawn by the people yeah. who had the power to draw the boundaries. Yeah, of course. And I think that, you know, despite the work of, you know, there are many people, you know, like you, like Salman Rushdie, like Andrei Kirkov mm. in the Ukraine, 
constantly trying to tell untold stories, and yet, even though things are improving, the you know the same old stories mm-hmm. are rising to the surface, and maybe at the moment they're actually they're pushing back really hard, so mm-hmm. they're at working really hard to rise to the surface. Yeah, I hear you, and it feels like we have learned nothing from history, and we're not talking about 500 years back, 600 years back. We're actually talking about recent history, still within living memory kind of history. So again, we see the rise of nationalism. Again, we see the rise of religious fundamentalism, extremism, and also a kind of tribalism. I, I think... On some level, it comes back to identity, how we see ourselves. We are never being taught that we can be multiple in this life, which is so sad because it's closer to who we are. It's much closer to our own truth as human beings. We are multiple, you know, we have multiple belongings. But we're never never allowed to say this, let alone celebrate this. You know, we live in a system that asks us, Who are you? Are you one of us? Are you one of them? And once you have stated who are you, stay in your zone and disconnect. We are being told that we will be safer if we're surrounded by sameness. That is an illusion. There's no such thing. We are being told that if you have diversity in a community, that means you're not safe. Again, that's an illusion. I think in life we do learn best and most from differences. Someone who speaks like me, you know, talks like me, or I talk like them, we are just echoes of each other's voices. But when you say something different to me, that's going to challenge me, or vice versa. So differences do um, teach us so much. It's not easy, but it's worth trying. So I have a big respect for diversity, for pluralism. But my point is, you know, I, I want to be able to say, I, I am Turkish, of course, I'm an Istanbulite, whether I go back to Istanbul or not, this is never going to change. But I also feel attached to the Balkans, I feel attached to the Middle East. You know, I do consider myself European, I have become a Londoner over the years, I have become British over the years, and despite what politicians have been telling us in this country, I want to call myself a citizen of the world. I want to call myself a citizen of humankind, you know. So why can't we think of identity as concentric circles, like water ripples in the water? Why does it have to be one static box that we're constantly pushed into? And why is that regarded as a sign of strength? When you speak in those you know, dualistic terms, us versus them, people applaud and they say, wow, that's a strong personality. Why is kindness not regarded as strength? Why is respect for diversity not regarded as strength? I don't get that. Well, I suppose the easy answer, and it's like probably the 900th time we say patriarchy today, but is that, you know, the male strengths are prized. Mm-hmm. And so if a woman is angry, she's a harridan. If a man is angry, he's strong. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so those traits are prized in, in the right person and not mm-hmm. in the wrong person. I mean, you have been writing, ever since you started writing, you have championed unheard voices, try to tell untold stories, represent the outsider. Was that something, where did that come from? How did that start? It's, um, maybe there are several answers to that because, of course, 
there's there's a part that's a bit more cerebral. You know, you think, you read, you care. But I think the main reason is emotional. Um, and in many ways, I felt like an outsider myself for different reasons, for various reasons, throughout my own upbringing, my childhood. And it left an impact on me. And automatically, almost automatically, I, I look at the periphery rather than the center. And I think literature is so amazing in that regard because it does give us a chance to bring the periphery to the center. It does give us a chance to you know, hear voices that have not been heard in the mainstream or make the invisible a bit more visible, you know, to empower the disempowered a little bit more. So art does that, culture does that, and suddenly you realize actually maybe someone you've regarded as the other is not that different at all. And then you realize actually I am the other, you know, it's and despite what I have been taught. So the other is my brother, you know, the other is my sister. The moment we say that, our worldview changes. And literature has that kind of ability. It, it turns it upside down. Um, and, and I am very interested in the stories that focus on the voices that have been silenced and suppressed, marginalized and pushed push to the periphery. I think that's what literature does best, you know, that kind of resistance. I mean, your books have, you've won many awards, been shortlisted for many awards, but, you know, the last two novels in the UK have been shortlisted for the two biggest prizes. Has that, how has that felt? It's, it's, first of all, you feel, of course, very happy and you feel honoured. I, um, I, I wouldn't believe any author who says, oh, I don't care, you know, whether I am being uh, nominated or not. We do care, of course. It doesn't mean that this is why we write. It doesn't mean that when we are writing, this is what we aim for. But when your work is recognized or, or nominated or long-listed, short-listed, you feel like, you know, something that you have been building alone in your own imaginary world, it has touched people, it has meant something to someone. But equally, it's not only awards, equally when you receive a letter from a, from a reader, let's say in, in, in a completely different part of the world or in a different part, part of the country, and the reader says, you know, I've read your book and it touched me and this is why it meant a lot to me. Or someone sends you a post on social media, they have made a, an amazing video um, after, you know, today, this morning, I was looking at this a reader has prepared a video, her drawings while she was listening to the audiobook. That's also so precious for me and so heartwarming because be, being a novelist is a very solitary task, you know. Um, in any other form of art, you collaborate, it's teamwork. But when you're a novelist for months, for years sometimes, you're in this zone. Um, and, and it's very lonely. You have no idea whether the story you're working on is good or bad. Does it mean anything? Is it going to touch anyone's heart? So those connections are important, and, and I think it's heartwarming. You have been kind of constantly putting yourself out there for decades now. Did uh, what happened with Salman Rushdie earlier in the, the year. Did that make you feel any less safe? 
the world is not safe for, for um, any of us. You know, when you're a woman, it's not safe. When you're young, it's not safe for young people. As you know, as I'm getting older, I realize this more and more. Um, for minorities, it's not safe. I, 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 I cannot put a finger and say, okay, here in this map, world map, it's safe. You, you know what I mean? But that said, of course, I hear what you're saying. Um, and and it, as freedom of speech is lost, it's becoming more and more difficult to write novels because novels ask questions about everything, anything. You know, in Turkey, it's so difficult to explain this to authorities because anything you say can offend them. You know, whether you write about politics, of course you offend someone, you can be put on trial, you question history, you question memory, you question, you know, what might have happened, which is not included in official history books, and immediately you can be labeled as a traitor. But many people know that it's difficult to question politics. Sometimes people don't realize it can be equally challenging to write about sexuality, to write about gender, to write about violence against women. You know, I have had... Um, two of my earlier novels, 10 minutes, 38 seconds, also The Gaze, you know, t police officers coming to my Turkish publishing house, collecting these books, taking to a prosecutor so that the prosecutor could investigate. And it's not only me, other authors, you know, for instance, there's a, there was an iconic feminist writer called Duga Asena. I have a lot of respect for her. Her books have been also collected, taken to the prosecutor's office so that the prosecutor can see if there's obscenity, crime of obscenity. So you see what I mean? You, anything you do can, can offend the authorities. Free, we need freedom of speech as writers, but also we need it as a society for democracy to survive. I mean, you've been subject to that and you've been massively trolled on social media. When you decided to come out as bisexual in 2017, did you, did you not think twice about that? <laughs> I, I've, been, I've been thinking twice about that, I think, uh, for so long until, you know, you arrive at your 40s and then you realize it's enough. I, I'm not saying that everyone should come out... It, Everyone's story is different, so no pressure on anyone at all. Um, there are people who come out in their 70s, there are people who come out in their 20s, there are people who never come out. I, I have a lot of respect for each individual story. But in my case, you know, I've been writing about um, LGBTQ plus rights for a long time. I've been talking about this for a long time, but I never had the courage to say, you know, personally, this is also my story because I was so scared of the backlash that I would get in Turkey, and I knew I would get a backlash. And when I came out, I gave a TED talk. Um, the, the whole TED talk is not based on this, but this was an important part of it, but you know, there's, there's a theme around it. They only picked that part. And I, I, I'm telling you the truth, for seven, maybe nine weeks, relentlessly, there was so much abuse both on social media, but also media. And, you know, the kind of slander, the kind of hatred that you, you go through. But I was ready to go through that in my mid-40s. I wouldn't have been able to go through that when I was younger. I wish I could have. Um, so it's, it's different in each and every case. But it's, it makes you sad. It does bruise you. And I'm not saying it doesn't affect you at all. It does bruise you. It does scar you. 
um, but we also live with our with our scars. So I'm, I'm happy I was able to share it. And and what's important for me is, you know, among all this noise, there are whispers. There are people who write and say thank you. You know, it meant the world to me. Thank you because you know my son is gay, my daughter is bisexual, or or you know they they share their personal. Um, family stories, and they share. They say thank you. So those voices are actually the ones that matter, not this racket, not this din. But within the din, we don't hear because um, those those voices are quieter. But I, I think they are the ones that matter. I mean, how else has the kind of aging process changed you as you've grown up through your forties and into your fifties? How, yeah. how else have you changed? You know, I've always um, noticed, especially in the Middle East, um, many women, we just can't wait to get old. So we try to get as old, <laughs> old as quickly as we can. I think that's very different in the West, <laughs> don't you? <laughs> and there's a reason. There's a reason because, but again, patriarchy is universal. Um, but in places, especially where patriarchy is a bit more concentrated, more visible, it's very interesting. Like, interesting, like in Turkey, we only respect the matriarch. Did you notice that? Like, we respect our grandmothers so much. So this is a patriarchal society in which the household can be actually matriarchal, but the majority of the system is, is patriarchal. What I mean by that is we only respect women as a society when women are regarded as old in the eyes of the society. And we don't see grandmothers as women anymore. We defeminize, desexualize them in our minds and put them in a different category. So a woman is not respected until she reaches that stage. And there's a reason why many women, uh, without maybe being very aware of it, but I've done this for, for so long, you know, we wear dark colors, we, the way you dress up, you defeminize yourself if you want to be respected. And then I would catch myself doing these things. And, and I think when I went to Spain as a child, I, I was full of admiration for the Spanish women who could celebrate, you know, uh, wear colorful clothes, wear, put on colorful lipsticks. And there's a part of me that still can't get it right, you know. But I would love to. Well, if you look at my wardrobe, my, my kids make fun of it. It's just, yeah, you know. Yeah, it's just black. Black, 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 <laughs> okay. maybe gray and navy, but... So, you know, just to be able to dress up in whichever way you want, have our hair color whichever way we want, put on lipstick in any color we want, still there are barriers, and I can catch myself falling into those traps. So we haven't really mentioned the Island of Missing Trees, but there's a brilliant character, if you haven't, if you haven't read the book, the Merriam. Yeah. Um, and she has reached that age where she is, and I did wonder if this was wish fulfillment on your part. She's suddenly embracing colour. Yeah, after menopause, she's uh, yeah. bringing embracing all the crazy the, yeah. Yeah. But menopause didn't make you wear colour. Um, not yet, but let's see. I mean, it's as, you, as you know, uh, and as you so eloquently talk about it, write about it, it's a journey. Um, it's not only, you know, just one, um, just snap, right? No. Uh, if rupture, <laughs> exactly. So it is a journey. Um, I mean, I love wearing black too, don't get me wrong, so <laughs> I like that as well. But, you know, just, I think that the gist of the story is to be able to, to feel free and happy in our own skin, in our own bodies, not to judge ourselves harshly, but also be compassionate towards ourselves. 
uh, including our own weaknesses, our own mistakes, our own you know silly mistakes, big mistakes. That kind of self-compassion is, I think, that comes a little bit more easily with age. Mm. And I find it very important that women who are getting older support younger women. It mm. is much, much harder to be young today. So uh, young women are dealing with so much right now, and I think it's very important that we support them. That's brilliant. Um, I want to talk to you a little bit about IEP which um, is shame, I think. Yes, Ayup, yes, Ayup, yeah. I mean, you describe, in the book, you describe the menopause as the end of Ayup. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that? You know, it's interesting. I mean, I, as I was writing The Island of Missing Trees, of course, this is a book that takes place in Cyprus and in the UK. Um, it's not my autobiographical story at all, but there are certain things that you remember as you write. Around the time I was six, seven years old, I spent a summer with two grandmothers, with my paternal grandmother and with my maternal grandmother. And these two women, even though both of them are Turkish, they're Muslim, more or less same class background, and so on, they couldn't be more different, you know? And, 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 and that's why I don't understand when people talk about Muslims as if it's a monolithic it's, there are so many differences, such a plurality, such a multiplicity within the Muslim majority world. Uh, even my two grandmothers were completely different. So the first grandmother, I think, when I went to her house, it, there was so much fear. Like, God is judging you, there's a celestial gaze, never blinking, always watching. And it, it was quite frightening for me as a child. Um, the length of your skirt, what you wear, your T-shirts, what you say, even your thoughts are being judged. And then when I went to the other grandmother's house, the maternal one, I told her, you know, he's watching me all the time, even in the bathroom, what am I going to do? And she said, laughing, I'm sure he has more important things to do. <laughs> and suddenly you realize there's room for humor. It's okay, you know, just relax. There's room for laughter, there's room for love, and her approach was completely different. The reason why I mention this is because this notion of ayyub, shame, you know, how you sit, how you speak, how you dress up, it starts from an early age onwards, and we have to discard that, we have to shed that, uh, we have to stop doing that. Right, I'm going to ask you the questions I always ask yeah. at the end. What's your emotional age? Oh, Wow. I wish I knew. Am I the best judge? I really don't know. I mean, I, I think emotional intelligence is like a muscle. The more we use it, like everything in life, empathy is a muscle. You know, the more you use it, it's the stronger it becomes. Um, so I do tuck, tune into my emotions a lot. So. It, it, only in that sense it might be a bit old. I don't know. A bit age. old. <laughs> <laughs> Give us a book recommendation. So it can be a book that's had a massive impact on you or it can just be a great book you read last week about water. <laughs> These days I'm reading lots of um, Irish um, um, authors and poets. Padraig Tuana has a new anthology out. Forgive me, I, the title escaped me, but I, I cannot recommend it more highly. Um, so poetry, you know, a lot of poetry. And also Rumi, of course, I, I would always, always recommend. Okay. Um, 
you were talking about earlier about how important it is that we support younger people. What piece of one piece of advice would you give younger women? I, I would say, please be compassionate, you know, to, to yourselves. Um, it's already hard enough, the world, there's already too much judgment, you know, too much going on. Um, and I would say, as we spoke about earlier, let's, let's nurture our inner garden, you know, let's nurture that inner voice that we had, that inner confidence that we had as children. So I'm not saying, you know, I'm not talking about imposing something from outside, just, just connecting with what we already have inside, but we have neglected, ignored for so long. Um, how, how do we connect with that creative side that we innately have? And how do we nurture our inner garden and, and to be compassionate towards ourselves? Who is your old bird role model? So who is an older woman who inspires you? So many, alive or ghosts? Which, what, whatever uh, you fancy. Both, both. Okay, both, yeah. definitely. I mean, from you know, Maya Angelou to uh, Audre Lorde to Ursula Le Guin, um, Doris Lessing, Iris Murdoch, so many, yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. What's your superpower? It's not my superpower, but I do connect to a superpower, which is storytelling, you know? It's, we all connect. It's the, yeah, the land of storyland. It's, it's home. Um, and lastly, how many fucks do you give? How many fucks do I give? How many fucks do you I give? See. I think I had a problem with this question earlier. You did last time I asked you, yeah. What did I say? I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> I think you might have asked me how many fucks I gave because you tried to not answer it. You know, the, a part of me wants to be able to say, oh, I don't give a fuck, but I do, yeah, mm. I do, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we only, do. Only yeah. psychopaths don't give any fucks, yeah. I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, sadly, that is all we've got time for. Um, Elif will be signing copies of her books in the lobby. Thank you all for attending and really brilliant questions. And thank you, Elif, for just getting off the train and coming in here with no prep whatsoever and being absolutely fantastic. I am Thank so you. grateful. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. You can hear a new episode of The Shift each Tuesday, wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, please do rate, review and follow because it really does help other people find us. And if you'd like to support The Shift further, please consider becoming a member of our community. Find out more at steady.media forward slash the shift. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., 